God for the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad it still works? Oh, come on now. 2,000 years old and it still works. Never gets outdated, never goes out of style. Never gets old, it never becomes ineffective. The blood of Jesus still works. And I'm thankful today that the blood of Jesus was shed back on Calvary for me and for you. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But I'm glad that the blood doesn't just cover, because if something's covered, it can be uncovered and found again. But the blood didn't just cover my sins, it washed all my sins away. As far as the east is from the west, they are forgiven, forgotten forever. If you're glad for the blood, come on and give the Lord praise tonight. Hallelujah! Thank God for the blood. You don't feel what I feel. I feel the presence of the Lord in this place Praise tonight. God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless him, Lord. I'm thankful for Sunday night. Big, small, medium crowd doesn't matter to me. I'm glad that we can be together. Reach for your Bibles, if you don't mind, please, and go to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, if you will. Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 36, 37, and 38, and I'll let you remain seated tonight. Let me give you just a little bit of background right here before I read to you. I talked to you a little bit this morning about the prophet Elijah, and on Wednesday nights in our adult class, the last four weeks or so, we have been studying the life of Elijah. I've got a couple more weeks left in that teaching series that we've been involved in. And uh, Elijah is a, is a powerful man, very significant life, very significant ministry. And we find him here. We find him at the end of a three-and-a-half-year drought that had come upon the nation of Israel because of their disobedience and their refusal to turn their hearts to God and their Baal worship that they had reduced themselves to. Elijah had confronted King Ahab and had told him that for three years and six months there would be no rain on the earth except at his word. At the end of that period, rain came. But prior to that, Elijah finds himself on the top of Mount Carmel. Many of you know this story where there is this confrontation between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They had decided that whichever God answers by fire would be the one true God. And the prophets of Baal came to that confrontation and for hours they prayed and they sought God and they took out stones and they cut themselves trying to petition their God and Baal never showed up. And finally Elijah gets, gets his turn. The Bible said he rebuilds the altar. He digs a trench around the altar. And then he prays a 60 three-word prayer. Let's begin at verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. 
that these people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. See, what had happened is even the children of Israel had fallen into Baal worship. And many of them had turned their backs on the one true God, yet God had reserved several hundred of them that had not turned their backs, but several of them had turned their backs on God. And verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. I'm going to keep reading. They don't have it up there, but that's fine. Verse 39, Now when all the people saw it, they fell down on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord is He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. But the last part of verse 36 and the entire 37th verse records 63 words that Elijah prayed. And I want to take just a few moments tonight, if the Lord will help me. And I want to speak to you on this thought, a 63-word prayer. Father, thank you for the word tonight. God, I, I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit tonight in this auditorium, Father. God, I believe that you want to use the word tonight to speak to us, to challenge us, and to change us. And I'm asking that the Word would do its work. God, let me speak what you've put in my heart to speak, to do it, God, precisely, to do it quickly, to move out of the way and let you do your work in the hearts of these people. I bless you for what you're going to do tonight, and I give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you, Pastor Tony. Thank you. Jewish history records the story of a devastating drought that occurred in the first century B.C. that threatened to destroy the nation of Israel. It had been well over a year since Israel had seen any rain. They were well into the winter season. In those geographical locations of Israel, winter is the main season when they receive rain. They're well into the winter season. They had not seen a drop of rain in some time. And there was a Jewish scholar, history tells us, that lived in Israel by the name of Honi, H-O-N-I. And Honi was known for his ability to pray for rain. History tells us that Honi came out of his house one day with a staff in his hand. He put the point of that staff in the sand and he began to turn like a math compass. His circular motion was rhythmical. It was methodical. 90 degrees. 180 degrees. 270 degrees. 360 degrees. Until he had drawn a complete circle in the sand. He stepped inside that circle. He dropped to his knees. He bowed his head and he prayed this prayer. Lord of this universe, I swear by your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. History tells us that no sooner had that prayer gotten out of his mouth that a very light rain began to fall. Head still bowed, 
still on his knees in that circle. Honey prayed another prayer. He said, God, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, caverns, and pits. And all of a sudden, that little light rain turned into a torrential downpour. Eyewitnesses who were there that day said there was not a raindrop that was smaller than an egg in size. Still inside that circle, head still bowed, Honey prayed one more prayer. And here's what he said. He said, God, not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your blessing, your graciousness, and your favor. And all of a sudden, history tells us that it began to rain peacefully and calmly. Each raindrop a tangible token of God's grace. Honey was a man who drew a circle in the sand. And he refused to move from that circle until God had mercy upon his children. And the prayer that he prayed that day was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. And that circle that he drew in the sand was a sacred symbol. And that prayer that that Jewish scholar prayed that day says to me that there is power in our prayer. Listen, prayer is not a magical formula that we use to get what we want from God. And at the same time, prayer is not nearly as complicated as we have made it over the years. But prayer is the human tool of faith that God has sovereignly chosen to translate His promises into performances. Prayer is one of the means by which God draws us to himself and conforms us to his will. Prayer is the hand of faith that reaches up and it grasps the promises of God. If you'll permit me for just a few moments, and I promise you I'm going to do my very best to be short, concise, and to the point. I want to look at this man by the name of Elijah, and he, he's just someone that's it's, it's in my heart, in my spirit. I've spent the time studying, teaching about him, talked about him this morning. But I believe Elijah can help us tonight understand the power of prayer. Elijah comes onto the scene at a very critical and a crucial hour, I told you this morning, in the nation of Israel. The people have, have backslidden. There's a wicked king in power by the name of Ahab who has a wife named Jezebel. And I've been teaching our class on Wednesday night. Ahab was the king by title, but Jezebel was the king by influence and by power. And the nation had, the nation had gone to the dogs. Baal was the god, the, the fertility god, who, who supposedly brought the rain and caused the crops to grow. He was the foreign god that was being worshipped. Even some of the, the Israelites, the children of Israel, had turned their backs on Jehovah and had gone to, to Baal worship, had reduced themselves to Baal worship. And God had to raise up a man to get the attention of King Ahab. 
And it was Elijah. The only thing that we know about Elijah prior to him coming on the scene was that he was, he was a Tishbite from Gilead. That's all we know. He just shows up. Shows up at the palace, as a matter of fact. Says to the king, for the next three years and six months, there'll be no rain except at my word. He gives that proclamation to the king, turns around, leaves. And I told you this morning, he goes to the brook Cherith, and for a year he lives there. God provides for him. He goes to Zarephath. The widow takes care of him there. And if you study his life, there, there's, just not a, there's not a lot about him, his background, where he's from. And, and even the, the, the first part of Kings that, that, that talks about him. We know he was a mighty, powerful man. And while his life and his ministry were significant, his prayer life was second to none. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who pins this five-chapter epistle to Christians everywhere right toward the, the back of the New Testament, gives us a picture of Elijah's prayer life. And who better to talk to us about prayer than James, who was nicknamed Camel Knees? Because theologians and historians tell us that his knees were so calloused from the hours that he spent on his face in prayer. And in James 5, 17 and 18, he gives us a glimpse into the prayer life of Elijah when he pins these words. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed that it would not rain on the land, and it did not rain for three years and six months. He goes on in verse 18 and says that Elijah prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. He would write in that same chapter that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It is my opinion, and I submit that opinion and offer that insight to you tonight, that James quite possibly was inspired by the prayer life of Elijah, a man with a nature just like yours and just like mine. And one prayer, he prayed that it would not rain on the earth, and for three years and six months there was no rain. And that says to me, that, that there are times that our prayer life and the prayers that we pray sometimes feel insignificant. At least mine do. And sometimes our prayers seem so small and they seem so shallow and they just seem like they don't carry a lot of weight. But when I read what James wrote and I see the prayer life of Elijah, that says to me that prayer has the potential to change situations and circumstances in our lives. Do you realize that, that one simple prayer that consisted of 63 words literally brought revival to the nation of Israel? And Elijah's 63-word prayer says to me that prayer does indeed Work, But we have, instead of making prayer our first resort, we have all of a sudden relegated it, relegated it to our last resort. And we only pull it off of the shelves and we are desperate or in need of something. But I'm telling you tonight, it is my opinion that one of the most effective tools that we have in our spiritual arsenal, it is the weapon of prayer. And if you will use prayer, if you will pray, I'm telling you, God will work when we pray. If you believe that someone, say amen tonight. 
Now let me just take a few moments. And let me just talk to you about some principles of prayer. Number one, I want to use the life of Elijah. I want to use the 63-word prayer. And then there's an event that happened right after this, the fire falling from him. Let me talk to you first about the proclamation of prayer. You know what prayer is? Prayer is, is simply us declaring by faith what we believe that God is going to do. Do you realize that after that 63-word prayer, that Elijah, here, listen, God had told Elijah, go and tell Ahab, the king, that I am going to send rain on the earth. And after Elijah prays that 63-word prayer and fire falls from heaven, he looks at Elijah and he says, or he looks at Ahab and he says, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. It didn't say that Elijah saw anything. I'm convinced that the sky was still crystal clear blue. But God had spoken to him and had told him that he was going to send rain. And Elijah says, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. That was faith that was coming out of Elijah. That was Elijah who was speaking faith and believing that God was going to send rain on the earth. And that's a lot how prayer works in our life. God speaks it. God speaks it through what, Pastor? God speaks it through His Word. God speaks it and then we have to be able to see it in our spiritual eyes. Whatever it is that God has spoken to us about and that God has told us, we've got to be able to get a mental image and a picture in our spiritual mind of what God is going to do. God speaks it. We see it. We say it. And then we pray for it in faith. And we believe that God is going to do it. Faith is us declaring, or prayer is, is, is us declaring by faith what we believe that God is going to do. And if you can't see it, you certainly can't say it. And if you can't see it, you can't say it, you, you can't pray for it, and you won't be able to believe it, and thus God will not do it. But you've got to proclaim and declare by faith, this is what I know the word of the Lord says. And you carry that into prayer and you declare God is going to do what he said he's going to do. It is the proclamation of prayer. Secondly, there is the posture of prayer. The proper posture of prayer is an expectant heart. Listen, the posture of prayer has nothing to do with how we fold our hands. The posture of prayer has nothing to do with how we bend our knee, how we stand, or how we kneel when we pray. The posture of prayer is a heart that fully expects that God is going to honor His Word. Now watch this. After Elijah prays that prayer, that 63-word prayer, the Bible says that he goes to the top of Mount Carmel. If you read 1 Kings 18 and 41 through 46, it details this for us. It says that Elijah bends down and puts his head between his knees. Now, first of all, that was indeed a physical posture of prayer back in that day. 
But if you study that out, you'll also find that that was also the birthing position that Jewish women would get in when they got ready to give birth to a child. And when a woman gets in position to give birth, you know what she is? She is expecting that something is on the way. So you see a physical posture of expectation in prayer for Elijah. But even more than that, you see a heart that has postured itself fully expecting that God is going to send rain on the earth. Follow the story. And you'll see him say to his servant, I want you to go and look toward the sea. And tell me what you visual. Tell me what you see in your vision. And he comes back and he says, I don't see anything. And seven times Elijah says to his servant, go again. Go again. And he finally comes back the seventh time and he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand that is rising out of the sea. Why did Elijah tell his servant seven different times to go look toward the sea? I'll tell you why. Because he was fully expecting that there was a cloud that was getting ready to blow in and that rain was getting ready to come. If you are ever going to receive anything from God in prayer, I don't care if you bow your head, bow your knees, close your eyes, or watch and pray. If your heart is not in the position of expectation, God will never honor the prayers that you pray. Let's listen to James again. The half-brother of Jesus, camel knees. When he says in James 1, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, here's what he says. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who gives to all men liberally without reproach. But let him ask in faith. Everybody say faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. James goes on and says in verse 7, Let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James would go over three chapters later in James chapter 4 and in verse number 2, and he would say this, You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. Here's the point. You can't go into prayer and speak faith and declare what God is going to do. And then Brother Turpin walk out of your prayer closet and say, I know that I prayed. But there's no way that God heard me. And there's no way that God's going to do it. The Bible says you're a double-minded man. And let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. You can't say one thing in your prayer closet and declare faith. And then walk back out and speak gloom and doom and negativity and doubt. There's no way in the world God can honor prayers when you talk out of both sides of your mouth. So what's the point, Pastor? The point is this. You have got to posture your heart in a spirit of expectation that God has heard you and that God is indeed going to answer the prayers that you have prayed. Are you all right tonight? Jesus gives us a picture of this, Mark chapter 11. He's walking by one day with his disciples and Mark 11 said he was hungry. There's a fig tree that was there and Jesus wants to go up and pick some of those figs and have a snack. But when he gets to the fig tree, the Bible says that there, were no, there was no fruit 
on the tree because it was not the season of figs. And I want you to see the humanity of Christ right here. He becomes a little frustrated because he was hungry. And the Bible says that he cursed the fig tree and said, may no fruit ever grow from you again. Now, how about that? Jesus was a little bit upset. He was hungry. You know, there's nothing worse than you got your mouth set. I've talked about food earlier today, didn't I? I'm going to talk about it again. You got your mouth set on something. Here's a good example. You got your mouth set on a bowl of cereal. It's about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. I mean, you can hear it falling in the bowl, and you can see the milk pouring over top of it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, Frankenberry, listen, Frankenberry, Count Chocolate, Halloween time, you can get that kind of cereal. Frosted Flakes, Crunch Berries, Fruity Pebbles, I mean, all that, I still eat that, that's good stuff. And there's nothing worse to go to the cabinet, the cereal's there, and you go to the fridge, and doggone it, there's no milk. I mean, you went expecting. And then, because your wife does the grocery shopping, you say to her, why don't we have any milk? And she says to you, because tomorrow's grocery day, and I didn't know you wanted any. So Jesus went to the fig tree fully expecting to find figs, and guess what he found? Nothing. And he says, man, nobody ever eat fruit from you again. Well, the next day... They come back by that victory. And Peter, almost in, in, in surprise, Aunt B, he says, look, Lord, it's the victory you cursed, and there's no fruit on it. What did Peter expect? I mean, he's been with the Lord this long. By now, he should have. I mean, what's he coming by? Expecting to find figs on the tree? Listen, the, the one who created the tree had just cursed the tree. And it's a great lesson. Here's what Jesus said. Mark 11, verses about 20 through 24. As soon as Peter says that, here's what Jesus says. He says four words. Have faith in God. Faith in God. Then he goes on. He said, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that the things that he says shall be done, he will have whatever he says. And then in verse 24 is what I want you to get. Therefore, I say to you, whatsoever things you desire, when you, not when you sing. No offense, Pastor Tony. Not when you have a good choir selection. Not when the pastor preaches a good sermon. He said, when you pray, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Here's what Jesus was saying to us. If you don't have any expectation level, when you go before God in prayer, you won't get anything from him. Now, I'm not here tonight to preach to you and tell you that everything you ask for, God's just some, some, some big magic genie in the sky and everything you ask for, he goes, here, have this, have this, have this. But if you don't go in with expectation when you pray, and if you don't go in with faith, God will not honor his word can I get some help on Sunday night 
It's the posture of prayer. It's an expectant heart. Number three, there has to be persistence. Everybody say persistence. There has to be persistence in prayer. You do know that when you pray, if you're not careful, you can stop too soon. When I was a youth pastor at the church in Martinsville, we had a lady there. What's her name, dear? Remember she prayed for her husband, Eddie? Do you remember? Patsy. And Patsy prayed for Eddie. I don't remember the exact. I mean, it was 30-some years. She prayed for God to save her husband. 30-some years. And most of us, after about 30 minutes in prayer, we give up. Now, none of you do that. I know that you, you tarry in prayer for hours. I'm not talking to you now. I'm talking to all the people that aren't here on Sunday night. I mean, we get 30 minutes in prayer, and we think, well, God hadn't done it. Or even for that matter, 30 days. But for 30-plus years, Patsy prayed for God to save Eddie. And right as... right close to the end of our time guess who showed up and gave his heart to Jesus Eddie gave his heart to Jesus and see there's a difference in praying for and praying through I'm going to repeat that again there's a difference in praying for something and praying through you remember, you remember the old church mamas don't you you remember, you remember them old church mamas back in my day they talked a lot about praying through they talked a lot about getting a hold of the horns of the altar and praying through. We don't, listen, we don't pray through anymore. We get in a few moments of prayer and we pray and, okay, God, I, you know, we just one day, two days. Listen, there's a difference in praying for and praying through. It's interceding until God intervenes. You do understand you're always only one prayer away from a miracle, don't you? You're always only one prayer away from a miracle. I mean, what if Elijah had not prayed that 63-word prayer? What if he'd have gone to the top of Mount Carmel and said, God, I know you're not going to answer by fire, so I'm not even going to waste my time. Israel would have missed out on an incredible revival. But it's being persistent. What if he had only sent his servant six times and he hadn't gone the seventh time? What if Joshua... Marching around the walls of Jericho. What they say? Once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, seven times for a total of 13 times. What if he'd have stopped on the 12th time on that final day? Guess what would have happened? The children of Israel would have never possessed the promised land because Jericho was the first city they had to conquer. There were 10 cities, by the way. There were 10 cities they had to conquer, and Jericho was the first one they had to conquer. And once they conquered the first one, they took out the rest, and God gave them their promised possession. Let me just, let me just take a little sidebar here for you. I'll give you a little tease for next Sunday morning. There were 10 cities, right? And there was only one city. God said, I want everything in that city. It's mine. It belongs to me. There were 10 cities. God wanted the first. They gave God the first of 10 cities. Guess what that was? It was a tithe. Well, shoo, come back next Sunday morning. <laughs> ten cities, he said, I want the first one. God gives you 100%, he says, I want the first tenth of your income. You can have the other 
That's a freebie for you. Come back next Sunday morning. I'll dig a little bit on that. What if they had stopped? They, wouldn't have, they would have never gone in and received the promised possession that God had for them. Let me show you this illustration real quickly. Jesus gives us an example of being persistent in prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, and even verses 9 and 10. He said, which of you having, having a friend would show up at his house at midnight and say to him, lend me three loaves? And would say to your friend, I have a friend of mine who is coming through on a journey and I have nothing to lay before him, I have nothing to feed him with. He said, that person might would say to you, don't bother me. Don't trouble me. The door is shut. My children are in the bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Jesus goes on in the eighth verse. And he says, even though he will not rise and give to you because he is a friend, yet because of your persistence, Everybody say persistence. Yet because of your persistence, he will rise and give to you whatever you need. Well, Jesus doesn't stop there, but in verses 9 and 10, he says, So I say to you, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. To everyone that asks receives, to him that seeks finds, and to him that knocks the door is opened unto him. Listen, I don't know what you've been praying for. I don't know what you've been asking God for or believing God for, but you can't stop too soon. Intercede until God intervenes. You might not be able to pray for, you may have to pray through this thing, but I promise you, if you'll be persistent in prayer, God will will honor your persistence. Here's the last one. The proclamation of prayer, the posture of prayer, the persistence of prayer. And finally, there is the performance of prayer. Answered prayer is God honoring his word. Did you hear that? Answered prayer is God honoring His Word. And God always honors His Word. Don't you ever tell me the Word doesn't work. Because the Word works every single time. And if the Word is never honored, it's not because God didn't do His part, it's because we didn't do our part. Let me show you this. Pastor Tony, come help me land this, please, sir. Elijah praised that prayer. But prior to that confrontation on the top of Mount Carmel, God had said to Elijah, go and present yourself before King Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Now remember, and I'm closing now, the last time Elijah showed up at the palace, he had prophesied that for three years and six months there would be no rain. And now God says, I want you to go back and tell him that rain is coming. Rain is coming. So Elijah tells Ahab, rain is coming again. The, the drought is over. It comes to this climactic moment on the top of Mount Carmel. 
When Elijah prays this 63-word prayer after the prophets of Baal had exhausted themselves trying to get their God to answer by fire. And you know why their God never answered by fire, don't you? Because he's not even a real God. It was a foreign pagan idol. I mean, they danced around. I mean, the Bible says they cut themselves with stones. And they were bleeding. I mean, they were, they were passionate about what they were doing. Elijah, even in the midst of that, he, he mocked them. He said, where is your God? Is he taking a nap? Is he on a break? If you study the verbiage of the, of the text out, it's even to the point he says, maybe he's using the bathroom. Where is he? He never shows up. And then it's Elijah's turn. The Bible says that he, he ordered the wood and rebuilt the, the altar. You know, put the wood in order and he digs the trench. I dug the trench, didn't you? He was fully expecting God to show up. And here's what he does because the, the, the sacrifice that, that he had offered, he tells them, Here's my sacrifice. I want you to take it. And he said, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pour water on top of my sacrifice just to prove that he's really God. And he pours water and he he, he saturates his sacrifice with water. Water's running down the altar into the little trench there. And he prays that prayer. All of a sudden, the Bible says that the, the fire from heaven fell. It consumed the sacrifice. It, the Bible says in the New King James, it licked up the water that was in the trench. Listen, usually when water meets fire, usually water will put out fire. Not here. The, the fire consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the water. licked up the, the, the water that was in the trench. And after that is done, Elijah chases the prophets of Baal and he slaughters and murders 850 prophets of Baal. But it's not done. Because rain still has not come yet. God said, you go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. And he says to Ahab, he said, you better get up, you better eat and drink because there's a sound of the abundance of rain. He goes up to the top of Mount Carmel, puts his head between his knees, tells the servant, go, go look toward the sea and tell me what you find. One time, two, three, four, five, six, finally the seventh time, I see, the, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising out of the sea. Big things can still come in small packages. Don't you doubt what God can do through something which seems small and insignificant in your life. He says to his servant, go and tell Ahab he better get going before the rain stops him. And no sooner had that servant told Ahab, Elijah says you better get going before the rain stops you. The Bible says in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and there was, watch the Bible says in verse 45, there was a doesn't say light he says there was a heavy rain. And all of a sudden at that moment, Elijah is watching the tangible evidence of answered prayer. He had said, go present yourself to Ahab and I'll send rain on the earth. And Elijah presents himself to Ahab and 44 verses later, 
three-year and six-month drought supernaturally and suddenly just comes to an end. And Elijah watches his prayer become a reality. And I'm telling you that there is a thing called the performance of prayer. God performs His Word. And God always honors His Word. And the Bible says in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, and this is the confidence. Somebody say confidence. This is the confidence that we have in Him. In who? God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, verse 15 says, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of Him. God answers prayers that are centered around His will. And it is God's will to to heal your body. Keep praying for God to do it. It is God's will for your children to be saved. Keep praying for God to save your children. It is God's will for you to be able to walk through an open door and share your faith and tell people about what God has done in your life. Keep praying for the open door. It is God's will to bless you monetarily. Keep praying and asking God to bring blessing upon your life so that you can give what He's put into your life. It is God's will for you to have peace in your life and not be tormented with fear and worry and anxiety. Keep praying for the peace of God. He answers prayers that are centered around His will. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. If I ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If he knows that we hear us, whatever we ask of him, we know we have the petitions we've desired of him. I want you to stand with me, please.